A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 153 of Confessions of a Marketer, SaaS and B2B Marketing. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Henrik Becker is in to chat about SaaS and B2B marketing. We'll get to that in just a moment. In the weeks ahead, we have chats planned with Ksenia Montan, who'll be talking about her manifesto for content marketing teams, plus Dave Woodward, Larry Ludwig, Travis Chambers, Naira Perez, Marty McDonald, Ian Preston, and Nicholas Vandenberg. As always, stay with us. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. Okay, on to Henrik Becker. He's a marketer who helps prepare companies for the next step in their growth. That involves marketing strategy, marketing automation, and laying the operational foundation for dealing with growth. It all sounds good, doesn't it? We had a fun chat. Let's get to it. Henrik, welcome to Confessions of a Marketer. It's great to have you here. Pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Let's talk B2B marketing, sales, and technology, everything that's involved. Can you first share your background and what you're up to these days? Absolutely. So I've been in digital marketing and sales for the last 10 years. I worked as a you know general marketer at first, where I was introduced to a lot of the concepts we still work with, you know, nurture campaigns, email opt-in and lead magnets, that sort of stuff. And I yeah. took to copywriting and that kind of escalated from, hey, you know, can you write my sales page? Sure. Can you also write my follow-up email? Sure. Do you happen to know what kind of software we could put that in? Like, sure. <laughs> we'll figure something out. Yeah. And that kind of, uh, over the years, as that software matured into stuff like HubSpot and Pardot, that's kind of what I ended up uh, doing. And I've also had a job in the United States. So I, I'm from the Netherlands, but I had a job in the United States as a director of revenue. So, and that was for a market automation product. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah. And all of that kind of comes together to what I do right now as a marketing and technology consultant. So, And you're back in the Netherlands. That's right. Yep. Is it Holland or the Netherlands? It, it's, that's, that's actually funny because the official name has actually just been changed. So Holland is a 17th century reference to the most powerful province. Yeah, We have two provinces called Holland these days, North and South Holland. 
but it's officially, it used to be officially the Netherlands or Holland, and now it's just Netherlands, just so you know. <laughs> That's good of, to There know. was a lot of fuzz about it. <laughs> yeah, I've done a lot of business with people in the Netherlands. And we like business. Yeah, it's wonderful. And we like Americans too, by the way. Exactly. And the thing that I find extraordinary about people from the Netherlands is their skills with English are almost better than those of us who grew up in the U.S. or the U.K., well, except for the occasional accent, of course. But yeah, um, yeah, but it's, yeah. Well, we kind of have to. It's an internationally oriented country. It's yeah. you know packed in between all kinds, and we don't really learn German anymore that well. So I guess we're left with English. Yeah, yeah it's more useful anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get down to brass tacks. How can you scale marketing for a SaaS product? That's a broad question, but what the heck? <laughs> that is a very broad question, and I would say that. And the answer always is depends, but generally speaking, I think the number one thing you should try to do is, I think, so if someone were to ask me right now, they have a SaaS product and they would ask me, how can we do this? I would go in there and I would first try to talk to a lot of people. And I mean, like their customers, I would talk to a lot of their customers first and I would try to figure out. What if they don't have customers? Well, then that's a difference. Then I would say, get 10, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Then get yeah. 10 customers. Sure. I don't mean your uncle or your friend, I mean, 10 cold leads that you close that see the value of your product. And you can do 10, then you can do 100. And if you can do at least 10, then it's worth talking to these people and asking, what's the number one thing this thing is doing for you? And that might actually not be what you thought it was going to do. Uh, it's more it's more interesting if you have 100, because you often see, you know, these SaaS companies packing in all these features, and it's like, well, what's the number one thing you're solving? So I think if you talk to a lot of customers and ask, like, what's the number one challenge you're dealing with in your job right now? What are you using the software for to solve? And then you, so that kind of highlights your actual value proposition, which might be different than what you think it is, which is why it's so interesting. And then the other thing you should do is talk to a bunch of prospects, people that you would want as a customer yeah. and ask them what their biggest challenge is and ask them what you could do for them. And just not a sales conversation at all. It's just like, Hey, I've got this product that I think is interesting for you. Can I just pick your brain for a bit and then see if that matches up. And if it does great. And if it doesn't, then you have some, you have some work to do. And then from a marketing perspective, I think that's the core. The core is solve an actual problem, especially because there's a gazillion SaaS products out there. And I don't think people are going to buy it unless you have an actual problem to solve. We can do it better. And that's the core of the marketing strategy, I would say. As for tactics, I would say it is highly dependent on how much money you have. <laughs> it, it is. Like, there's these companies that are funded. They can, they can hit all the events and they can create a lot of cool content. And then I think a lot of the, a lot of the, let me give you an example. I'm working with a customer right now. They sell a customer data platform, CDP. Yeah. You know, it's one of those one of those things we should all have in SaaS or in marketing because it connects all your systems and it deduplicates data and it makes sure everything's up to date. It's like it's really beautiful. I, I wrote all the marketing stuff for this thing because it's like it's my direct pain. So <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and they're funded to an extent, but they do have to hold up their own pants, so to speak. Sure. So I don't know if that's that's a Dutch shake. <laughs> and so I, I get the I get the idea. So what, the, what we've been doing is really a traditional inbound funnel where we have three stages. We have three very different lead magnets geared towards where someone's at in their buying journey. And then we have ads going, let's LinkedIn, Facebook, Google ads going those things. And 
uh, they all have follow-up email flows and they all refer to each other. And, you know, when someone either goes through the flow or gets enough points, then um, they move on to sales and that still works. I think that's a solid approach. I think another approach you can really use is pick up the phone, try to create a list of people that you want to work with. I still see a lot of companies do outbound effectively. You have to sure. be really targeted about it, but I think, well, we, we could talk about this for another hour. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the phone almost seems out uh, old-fashioned these days, but it's very effective if you reach the right person. If you, you reach the right person, yeah. I even wonder whether direct mail might make a comeback in some form. Oh, it is. It is making a comeback. At least companies I'm working with. Yeah, I've heard of technologies that can kind of marry digital with direct mail and, you know, tell a story across multiple platforms. And I evaluated a technology like that about a year ago. And it's really come leaps and bounds. Although, you know, and the argument is, I'll make it pretty firmly, that the underpinnings for all modern marketing go back to, you know, the 1950s and, you know, the development of direct mail. You know, all of those kinds of disciplines that were created back then that really matured in the 60s and 70s and were kind of downplayed in the 90s and early 2000s underpin every marketing precept that we have. I think especially in terms of psychology, in terms of how you approach people, I use all stuff all, all the time. When I started copywriting, I was introduced to by my boss in, to Robert Middleton. I don't even know if you've ever heard of him. Yeah. And he used this format for writing anything or speaking anything, which is pain, emotion, vision, emotion, cause, which is more logical and then solution logic, then a call to action. It's like five steps. I wrote all the emails for the SaaS product I just talked about. I wrote all the emails in that format and they were like, wow, this is really cool. We've never seen this before. I'm like, yeah, it's from the 90s. How about that? <laughs> or, or 2000s, I don't know, somewhere about that. Yeah. And Lester Wonderman, I've talked with a lot of people from Wonderman, but Lester Wonderman created modern day direct marketing and that, that goes back maybe to the 1940s yeah i don't think i've heard of him yeah look him up because he's he's a fascinating story and if you're in marketing you know he's kind of a guiding light he passed away recently also david ogilvy was right a great advertising guru what i will say is that i feel like what i think is better or easier these days is the fact you get more direct feedback yeah. It's kind of easier using digital channels to kind of figure out what's working. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing is that one thing I like to do is that, you know, there's all the rage about buyer personas and all that kind of stuff, sure. which is great because I think it's really useful to have an abstract of your customer to kind of like have in mind. But at the same time, a lot of marketers never ask their customers anything. And so one of the things I tend to do is just survey a database with some of the questions I just I just mentioned, like what's your number one challenge? Sure. So how did you come here? What were you envisioning? What's going to be the solution? And you get some answers where marketers like, oh wow, I, I've never thought of that. Or we can use this in marketing. Or we can even create fields of the answers and segment on it and base that on our, you know, what's going on to whom or what they're seeing on a on a web page. So yeah. it's really the same, it's the same kind of approach as it used to be, but you know, with some fancier tactics yeah. due to technology, I would say. Yeah. So let's talk about getting customers. What are the secrets to lead gen? Again, I think you have to be really, really solving a problem. 
And I can't say this enough because it just doesn't happen. I think it happens more in smaller businesses because otherwise they don't survive. Yeah. But I've walked into some larger companies where I've seen, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of well, euros mostly go into products where you're like, I'm sorry, nobody's asking for this. So that's how you not get customers. <laughs> yeah. That's why I said get 10 customers first and it can't be your uncle. But how do you get customers? I think it's solve a root problem and be authentic in the way that you communicate, which is also really hard. But it's something like I think people can really, really taste these days when when you're when you're real. And I would say if you can marry authentic communication to an actual problem, I think you're going to get close to it sells itself. Yeah. So and then the actual tactics for doing that, that depends on the company. Again, do you have money or not? If you don't just start writing a lot of good content and sharing and answer questions on Quora. I've been doing a lot with that. You've probably heard of Jason Lemkin. He does that all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's a free one and that's effective. So yeah, I think it's a question we all ask ourselves, how do we get more customers? But I You have to have something that they want. Right. Well, that's really it. <laughs> that's it. It's really not that hard. But well, to give you an example, you know, just I spent this time in America working for uh, for Net Results, which is a marketing automation platform. Yeah. It's not well known, but it's got a pretty it's got a decent customer base. You know, it's got a great team and it's got a really, really right. good, if you look at any of the reviews, you know, they'll all praise the customer support team and, and rightfully so, because they're on it. But it's kind of hard to be like another marketing automation platform. You really, really have to drive down to what people need and want versus what they're getting right now. Because if you're just the next marketing automation problem, then no one's going to care. So it has to be specific. Yeah, it's a crowded market, isn't it? And I wanted to talk about marketing automation because I think some marketers just use it as a crutch and say, well, we've got the marketing automation system. We've got a campaign's going to run Tuesday, Thursday, and we're going to hit our regular customers next Wednesday. And that's our marketing plan. But that may not be the best way to use it. What is the best way to use it? Well, it could be. It could be, sure. Yeah, it could be. From my experience, it's usually not even the marketers. It's usually management. It's like, well, we invested $100,000 in a marketing automation platform, so why aren't we getting leads? It's like, well, <laughs> that's really not, you bought the engine, <laughs> and that's nice. But if you want to build a machine or a car, let's say, well. Yeah, it's like saying, I've got a car, why don't I have gas? Yeah. Or, or why is it not driving by itself? Like, well, we have to get in the car and we have to drive it and we have to fill yeah. up with gas and then we have to go somewhere. Again, it goes back to, are you solving a real problem? And are you communicating? Like I've seen really, really amazing setups in stuff like Eloqua and Marketo and just one crappy email after another. <laughs> They're like, it's yeah. not working. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, your content's not really good. I'm sorry. So... Is it a crutch? It is a crutch to say, like, we've got the platform, now we're going to get leads. No, yeah. it's all back to your strategy, what you're communicating, and do people want your stuff? Having said that, I can't live without it. I'll say that. Sure. If I had to go back to even MailChimp, I would probably go crazy. <laughs> um, I want to be able to pick up on triggers. I want to be able to look at browsing behavior. Like, I've got some use cases where, you know, because of some European laws, which are interpreted in different ways. <laughs> That's the best I can make of it. But it's yeah. they'll just close off the entire website tracking cookie stuff. And I'm like, oh, crap. That's severe. But all those things combined, 
really make for a better experience for the person on the other end. And I think that's in the end what does it. It's like, I think marketing automation can make you look, well, not just make you look, it's like, if you do it right, you offer a customer a really safe experience. People want to feel safe, that they can trust you. So if you say you're going to do something, do it, which means I'm going to download it. I expect you to follow up. And then I expect things that happen based on my situation. And the thing is, we forget those things because we're humans, but the system won't forget it. And so I think if you set it up right, you get this kind of, you can evoke this feeling of, oh, these guys really know what they're doing. It's the same thing as brand consistency. You know, if you look on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and you look somewhere else and the ads are all the same and the, the message is the same and you know what you're in for, you're like, oh, I can trust these people. They've got, if their marketing is this good, probably their product is as well, or you don't even think about that. That's yeah. So that's why I think it's important. That's why I think it's table stakes at this point for most people, for most businesses, certainly not all of them. But don't use it to spam your users five times a day. It astounds me that people still think that works. And the worst part is it does sometimes still work. We had a couple of cases at, Mark, uh, at Net Results where they were running the email sending off a SendGrid, you know, which is the email provider sure. yeah. um, that was connected to the system. And then we get a message from SendGrid going like, you, one of your customers is going crazy. And we're like, going to check it out. And sure enough, you know, <laughs> they seemed legit. And then it was one of those spam creators that they had. I think they have one email template in there and they send it to their entire database about, about 18 times a month, <laughs> the yeah, same email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then the worst part was that they got business out of it. <laughs> or the best part. It is funny. I mean, I guess, you know, just like hackers and spammers, they wouldn't do it unless they could make some money. So all these emails that you get that go directly into your spam folder some actually get through and are effective. You know, some people believe that there is a Nigerian prince who is going to give them money if they hand over their their bank account information. Yeah. There yeah. is a tiny percentage of people that fall for these things. And then there's, you know, moving up the chain, there are a certain number of people who respond to being hit over and over again by emails, but it's not, it's the exception rather than the rule. And I will say that the security on that stuff is getting better. Oh yeah. I mean, it's gotten a lot harder to spam from, like any marketing automation system or vendor work their salt will easily pick up on what you're doing and be on top of that and like yeah. kick you off. But yeah, I mean, obviously it's still happening. I'm still getting spam emails. So, you know, some provider <laughs> is allowing for it. It's all custom built, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But so what I get from our conversation, which has been really educational, is that content and something real is really important. Yeah. 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 Sell something that people want. It's really that easy. And the way to figure out if people want something is to, well, if we're talking about SaaS, you know, it's like build something and see if you can sell it. If See if people can see the value that people that don't know you and it's the product by itself that does the sale. Yeah. And there's a lot of passion, or there should be a lot of passion behind that. And it should yeah. be like a yeah. CEO that does that and you know leads the charge on the initial sales. And, and then I think after that, it remains a trial and error thing to see which channel or tactic works for you. I wish I had a, yeah. like a, a carpet answer for that, but I don't. Yeah, trial and error has become A-B testing, right? <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, even if you work with a bunch of companies like I have, I will say that I think traditionally, or traditionally, like I've seen some pretty consistent results. 
sure lead magnets and that's still like but it has to be a really good lead magnet and you have to target it right and all that stuff but it's like yes you can build a campaign you can build a piece of content that you're really confident about you can just completely well you learn you learn things about the behavior of your audience i know with my podcast if i include marketing in the name of the episode it performs better than when i don't it's these really small things often it's like oh really this works (laughs) yeah and so you can draw those inferences once you've got a history of sending things and that takes something that very few people in marketing or business have and that is oh i know what you're gonna say patience you've got to be patient you you've got to have a plan execute the plan sure deviate from it if you get really good data that shows you you should do something else but you've got to be patient to let this thing happen well and then the other things i i read this i think i don't know who wrote someone on linkedin said this one of these high profile marketers maybe like Dave Gurr or something. It was like, you shouldn't be measuring all your marketing. Part of it is brand awareness. And like, and maybe it should even be a different team that does all the pretty marketing stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. There's the demand gen, there's the brand awareness, and they are two different things. And I completely agree. I think it's moot to try and measure results out of everything. I think part of it is like a long-term strategy. You have to put money towards simply having people recognize your brand and telling a story around that. And having those, getting those, like, what, what are they, like 17 touches before someone's, like, ready to, to talk to yeah, you or yeah. something like that. And it's, you can't really, at this point, quantify that in a decent way. So I think we also need to kind of let it go to an extent. There should be a part of the budget with, like, just spend it in the way that seems most prudent, and then that's okay. And then the, this part, we'll spend on demand gen. That's what we're going to measure, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Well, Henrik, thanks for joining me. It was great to have you here. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. All right. Next time, Ksenia Montan is in, and she's talking about the manifesto for content marketing teams. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. Stay healthy and see you next time. You've never tried to eyeball six feet as often as you do now. You wear a mask, you wash your hands, and you've stayed within the walls of your apartment for more hours than you care to add up. But unless you live in a smoke-free building, you're not exactly home free. Secondhand smoke drifting through the cracks in walls or sink drains carries toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. And right now, lung health is key. Go to tobaccofreeca.com to learn how to stay safe.